Welcome to the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Today's episode, we have interviews, high school football scores, also college football played on a Friday night. All that and more coming up on the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. And that show starts next. So grab your ticket, get on board, and enjoy the journey. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your conductor here, Anthony Smith. Hoping you are enjoying a very nice weekend thus far. As we get you caught up on what happened in the state of Kansas as far as high school football regionals are concerned in all classifications. Also, some college football scores, updates, and highlights. Also on today's show, I know for sure we will have Coach Steve Martin of the Northwest Grizzlies on and also efforting to get Karan Bradley on. Talk a little college hoops as the college hoop season is right around the corner. So we are going to go ahead and get into this and get you brought up to speed. As I said, there was a lot of high school football in the state of Kansas played last night. The regionals. And we're going to look first at the scores in 6A as there were some interesting matchups. You've seen the Blue Valley schools. You've seen the Olathe North schools. You've seen area games even had a forfeit. So what's going on with that? Anyway, let's go ahead and get you brought up to date on these scores here. You had Olathe Northwest scoring off against Olathe North. We call that the bird fight. As the Olathe North Eagles knocked off Olathe Northwest. Final score 38-7. Then you have Blue Valley downing Blue Valley Northwest by a score 24-7. Shawnee Mission Northwest hands it to Olathe West 26-14. Blue Valley North Knocks off Olathe East, 33-21. Lawrence comes away with a forfeit victory over Dodge City. We don't have any information on what the, what the cause for that forfeit was. But Lawrence will advance. Derby cruises past Gardner Edgerton by a final score of 48-28. Junction City manhandles Washburn Rule 70-25 and East High holding up the banner for the Wichita City League area for the G-Wall, Greater Wichita Athletic League, by knocking off those Indians from Manhattan. So East High Blue Aces soar high in their 20-7 victory. And now we look at 5A. You have Blue Valley Southwest getting by Topeka Seaman, 27-21. 
St. Thomas Aquinas rolls past Pittsburgh 48-13. DeSoto manhandles Leavenworth 56-31. Mill Valley pitches a serious shutout against Spring Hill as they blank them 51-0. Wichita Northwest blanks Heights, embarrasses them. 69-0. Gardner makes the trip to Wichita, takes on Capon. Capon cruises past Gardner, 38-15. Bishop Carroll goes on the road and in stunning fashion knocks off Hutchinson, 42-28. And in the battle, in the battle for Mays, and for bragging rights and to advance into the playoffs. The Mays Eagles soar high as they tame the Mays South Maverick. Or can I say as they break the Mavericks? 59 to 27. Those are your scores in 5A. Now we move on to 4A. As St. James knocks off Paola 45 to 35 in a just you can see it's a pretty good high scoring affair in a low scoring game Baser Linwood knocks off Eudora 19 to 12 the Elks of Bishop Meage has no problem knocking off Fort Scott 63 to 12 Tonganoxie Manhandles Lansing, 49-10. McPherson cruises past Augusta, 52-20. Bueller handles Rose Hill, 42-8. Arc City advances, knocking off Andover Central, 33-28. Wamego gets past El Dorado, 21-18. Now we move on to 3A. Perry squeaks past Gerard 13 to 12, while Perry LeCompton gets by Topeka Hayden 20 to 7. Frontenac cruises past Burlington 22 to 6. Holton has no problem with Baldwin, knocking them off 49 to 8. Riley County cruises past Scott City 43 to 14. While Andale pitches the shutout over Clearwater 53 to 0. Collegiate knocks off Cheney 35 to 20. Southeast of Saline blanks Marysville 30 to 0. And now we go to class 2A. Pittsburgh Hogan knocks off Wellsville 24 to 0. Rossville Cruises past Mauer Hill, 53-21. Nemaha Central gets past Silver Lake, 40-30. Osage City has a forfeit victory over Fredonia. Haven brings Hutch Trenty's football season to a close as they knocked them off 26-6. So a bad night in football for the city of Hutch is both. Hutch, Salt Hawks, and Hutch Trinity. 
seasons come to a end. Beloit gets the forfeit victory over Phillipsburg. Likewise, with Hoisington getting the forfeit victory over Cimarron. And Garden Plain squeaks past Hillsborough 25-0. It's down to 1A now. OP knocks off Jackson Heights 53-0. Also in another shutout, Uniontown blinks Armour Northeast 45-0. Centralia was a little bit more gracious as they allowed Wabanasi to score 6 points in beating them 52-6. Linden knocks off Jefferson County North 47-22. Oakley squeaks past Cedric by a three-point basket by the score of 27-24. The Indians of Smith Center knock off El Saline 34-0. Conway Springs hits by Plainville by a touchdown by the score of 14-7. In a rather low-scoring affair. And Inman cruises past Remington 50-7. So now we will take you to 8-man Division 1 as Chase gets past Sedan 56-18. Little River gets past Clifton Clyde 46-26. Madison blinks Oswego 60-0. Canton Galva Cruises past Burlingame, 56-6. Attica, Argonia, cruises past La Crosse, 60-14. Wichita County blinks Atwood, Rawlins County, 68-0. Hoaxie does the same thing to South Gray, blanking them 50-0. In a rather high-scoring affair, Gossel gets spot Pratt Skyline, 54-48. So now we look at eight-man division two. Colony Crest cruises past Hartford, 64-14. While Hanover eases past Axtell, 52-6. Lebo has no problem with Waverly, knocking them off 56-8. Frankfurt knocks off St. John's Tipton, 38-21. Wheatland Grinnell gets by South Central, 36-26, while Victoria blanks Sylvan Lucas, 50-0. In a close game, Caldwell gets past Central Plains, 36-34, in a game that is to be scheduled. Looks like it's going to be Buckland versus St. Francis. So there we get you up to speed on... High school football across the state of Kansas in the regionals. And like I said earlier, we will have Coach Steve Martin on. And now what we're going to do, we're going to transition into some college football. Because there were some games last night. But. What I want to do, 
take a look at this particular, a couple of particular articles here as this particular article here We're looking at going to Travis Etienne, trusting USC, and testing BYU. And there's going to be more to watch as college football season unfolds. So how will Clemson's trip to Notre Dame shape the college football playoff picture for both teams? It remains to be seen. But I know one thing, Notre Dame can't afford to lose this game. doesn't win games or lose them. All that matters is whether Notre Dame is now good enough to bring the streets to an end. So the question at hand is, can Notre Dame pull it off? Do they have enough to pull it off? If they're going to take advantage of the moment, Today would be the day they would have to do it while Trevor Lawrence is out. But let's see some more. Trevor Lawrence will miss his second straight game this Saturday. It might be the biggest game of the year. The playoff implications in this one are massive. Dabo Sweeney, probably as good as any coach, rallies his team around adversity. What was the first conversation you had with Trevor once I got a call from our trainer uh, to let me know, and, and uh, first thing I did was I walked down the hall to let Tony know what was going on, and, and then I said, All right, I'm going to reach out to DJ first, and uh, he said, well, DJ's actually in the quarterback game. I just passed him. He's in there watching tape, so I went in and told DJ you know, what was going on, and, and then I called Trevor, I mean, typical Trevor, oh, man, coach, you know, I mean, he was, he was disappointed, just wanted to make sure, first of all, he was okay, and, and he was. But it was a good conversation. I just, you know, told him, take care of yourself, and make sure you're good, love you, and we'll step up for you. It is what it is, but he'll be there, and he'll be Coach Lawrence. I know he'll be a good company for the guys and support DJ during the game. 
Yeah, not at all. We don't change anything. I mean, like day one, I was so impressed with him and his absorption. And so I knew pretty quickly that, hey, this kid is special from a mental standpoint, football IQ. He just has this really poised demeanor and what a great attribute for a quarterback. He's a very unique guy, just like Trevor was, you know, just like Deshaun was at this stage in their careers as far as their mentality, their mental makeup. Mindset, poise, confidence, demeanor. There's nothing that Trevor could do as far as running our offense that he can't do, whether it be types of passes, types of runs, etc. Obviously, there's a difference in experience and, and whatnot, but uh, as far as the mechanics of it, it's the same. Devil, how would you describe the opportunity Saturday? What a cool opportunity as far as going on the road, and playing the top five team, those opportunities are rare. I mean, anytime you go on the road, you know it's, it's going to be really difficult to win. But for us, it's just, again, it's an opportunity, hopefully, to get to 8-0. We can't punch our ticket to Charlotte, but it certainly helps you stay in control of your destiny within this conference. And whoever's out is not out of it by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, you certainly like to you know, come out of it undefeated. One thing I do know is this right here. Notre Dame cannot afford to lose this game. Why do I say that? Because hanging in the balance are teams that are waiting to take their spot on that top in that number four spot. I don't have much confidence in the Pac-12 that they will actually... have a representative in the college football playoff. I really don't think, I don't put much stock in USC, as much hype as they build up with USC even the last couple of years. They've found a way to let the analysts down. So I see no different why, see no reason why it won't be different this year. Now, I told you we had some college football played on Friday night. And here is highlights from BYU Boise State. So there were highlights last night from the BYU Boise State game played on the Smurf turf. So let's take a look at week 10 college football. So week 10 of the college football season 
is the first official fire hose weekend of the season where the information is coming to us faster than we can take it in. We inhaled six MAC games simultaneously on Wednesday night. On Friday night, we'll watch unbeaten playoff sleeper BYU take on by far its toughest test of the season. And on Saturday, we've got a battle of top four teams, Clemson, Notre Dame, a neutral site fight for the number two spot in the SEC, Florida versus Georgia, and, oh yeah, the first five Pac-12 games of the season. So, let's walk through some of the most interesting questions and storylines of the Firehose weekend. Travis Etienne, the ultimate checkdown. If you're playing Clemson, the odds are good that your defense is the second best one in that given game. But that might not be the case when the Tigers visit Notre Dame on Saturday night. Clemson has battled some big play issues and given up more than 20 points to both Syracuse and Boston College the past two weeks. It's down to 10th in defensive SP. Oh, the shame, the horror. While Notre Dame ranks 8th, having given up more than 13 points only once all year. With Trevor Lawrence still out because of his coronavirus diagnosis, Notre Dame will instead gear up to stop a Tigers offense led by DJ Ugalali. The blue chip freshman and Cam Newton clone led a huge comeback against BC last week and has completed 70% of his passes with no picks this season. Notre Dame's defense is quite a bit better than BC's, however. The Irish force you behind schedule with negative plays. Their second and stuff rate runs stopped at or behind the line. Sixth in pass pressure rate and 16th in sack rate. They force you into third and long situations and they get off the field. Opponents have an 11% success rate on third and Seven, fourth lowest in the country. While star linebacker Jeremiah Owasu Koromoa has been very bit has been every bit as good as expected. Six tackles for loss, seven run stuffs. His dance partner up front, senior and added the combo Ojundehi has erupted. His pass rushing, 2019, 199 rushes, 9.5% pressure rate, 4.4.5 sacks. 2020 thus far, 105 rushes, 17.1% pressure rate, 3 sacks. While only 16% of FBS receptions have gone to players out of the backfield per Sports Info Solutions, 25% of receptions against Notre Dame fit that designation. That's typically a great thing for the Irish. They swarm to the ball and give up only 6.1 yards per completion in these passes, far below the national average of 8.2 yards per completion. Other teams don't have Travis Etienne, though. Great offensive players can sometimes make you think smart defensive coaches are stupid. They make you yell things like, how could you know, how could you not know the ball was going to that guy? when they almost certainly did know. Clemson's star running back is having a perfectly solid rushing year. He has gained 606 yards, 5.9 per carry, with nine touchdowns. But he has been a 
cheat code in the passing game. Virginia and Miami have smart, effective coaches and solid defenses. They knew Etienne was ultra dangerous out of the backfield, and they probably communicated that as clearly as possible to their players. And he still caught a combined 13 balls, 487 yards, and 10 first downs, a whopping 16 of the yards came after first contact. With DJ filling in for Lawrence last week and facing a major comeback, he repeatedly found Etienne for quick, easy games. The scene caught seven passes, 440 yards, a touchdown, and five first downs. Granted, BC, Virginia, and Miami all play more man coverage than Notre Dame, which can create both lower completion rates and higher big play rates. The Irish are content to form a quarters coverage cloud and swarm to short completions. Maybe that will hem in at the end, but you still have to actually bring him down when you get to him. Easier said than done. This game represents a huge opportunity for Notre Dame, as ESPN's Seth Walder has noted. An Irish win will give them equal odds with Clemson to reach the college football playoff. Clemson tends to respond to losses or near upsets like last week's BC game by laying pedal to metal for the rest of the season. But with Lawrence still out, we don't really know what kind of Tiger performance we'll see. We know that they probably will lean on Etienne, though. And that tends to pay off. Another side note, because they said that what Clemson likes to do is have a movie night, like before a game. Can you imagine what movie they watched? I give you a hint, they're playing Notre Dame Saturday. Does that give you a hint? Rudy. Only Dabble Swinney could do something like that. So what else have we to look at here before we take our first break here? Whoop, there's the world's largest cocktail party going on today. So Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony, the ultimate matchup nightmares. It was easy to forget about Florida. Dan Mullins Gators lost a 41-38 track meet against Texas A&M then were forced to the sidelines for two weeks due to a coronavirus outbreak against Missouri last Saturday. However, they played their most complete game of the season. Their offense rolled again, 514 yards, 7.2 per play, 41 points, but their defense actually showed up as well, holding Missouri to 17 points, 248 yards, 3.9 per play. Granted, those numbers look a bit different if the Tigers' Jalen Knox holds on to an open 73-yard bomb in the second quarter, but mistakes are always part of the totals. This was easily Florida's best defensive performance of the season. Combined with Georgia's 14-3 win over Kentucky and almost unimpressive by design, bear hug victory, Florida's performance allowed the Gators to catch up to the Dogs in the SP ratings. The Gators and Dogs are almost dead even overall with Georgia having drifted down to 46 in offensive SP. Georgia still has the best defense in the country, though, which will allow Florida to find out exactly how good this offense really is. As Alabama's Nick Saban told ESPN's Chris Lowe a couple of weeks ago, 
It used to be if you had a good offense, other people weren't going to score. You were always going to be in the game. That's still mostly true. But Bama's number one per offensive SP offense put up 564 yards and 41 points on Georgia's number one defense. Florida's offense is number four. Does that clear the bar? SP projects the Gators to score 26 points on the Dogs. The only teams that have put that much on Georgia in the past two seasons are LSU last year and Bama this year. No offenses, both. Number one, number one offenses, both. We'll see whether the Gators can reach this rarefied air. Florida's offensive success is predicted on two things. One, no negative plays. Secondly, maybe the most unique, scary, one-two receiving punch in the country. Tight end Kyle Pitts and wide receiver Kadarius, Kadarius Tony have combined for 44 catches, 652 yards, and 13 touchdowns in only four conference games. But that somehow doesn't tell the whole story. Quarterback Kyle Trask doesn't have a world ready-made prototype outside receivers at his disposal. Trevor Grimes, in fact, is the only true wideout with more than seven catches. But in Pitts and Tony, whom Florida lists as an athlete, not a wide receiver, Trask has two non-stop matchup nightmares. So there's a little quick hit right there on Florida. Georgia. So what I'm going to do right here now is I am going to pause and take a break and put in a word from my sponsor and I will have more for you concerning college football, give you some scores and highlights when I return from this break. So stay tuned, a Transports Talk podcast. I'll return after this word from my sponsor. Welcome back and have I got some news still sticking with college football and who remembers Jackson State University? Okay, well then let me rephrase it. Who remembers Deion Sanders? Right, Deion Sanders one of the greatest football players to play in the NFL. Could play both ways if need be. He did spend some time at receiver. One of the best cornerbacks in the NFL history. He's now coaching Jackson State University. Oh, in case you didn't know, Jackson State is an HBCU school, which stands for Historically Black College Universities. Welp. ESPN 300 QB. Shadura Sanders joins dad Deion Sanders at Jackson State. So what are some of the analysts thinking about this move? Well, let's find out. The former all-pro corner. There's another guy who played cornerback pretty well for a couple years there. Deion Sanders. 
who's now going to be a head coach of an HBCU program. What does that mean for HBCUs to have one of the very greatest athletes who ever lived as a head coach? Well, I'm going to say the greatest, and arguably probably the best football player. I say Jim Brown was, was at the – but when we talk about the best football player that ever put on cleats, Deion Sanders is there. To have him with his profile become the head coach at Jackson to raise the awareness to this. This is what the institutions uh, they've been starving for, that they need high-profile coaches. He has eight legends coming on to coach with him. This is significant, not just for the National Football League, but for the HBCU community, hoping that this is, it, it increases enrollment, that it brings awareness to the institutions, frankly, that have been marginalized. So, so happy for Dion. Been working with him throughout this process and happy to see it come to pass this past week. So, there you have. And this has actually been deemed as HBCU week and what the NFL is doing for HBCUs. But really now the NFL really doesn't have to do nothing because Jackson State did it all with the hiring of Deion Sanders. And now he brings in his son who was committed to Florida A&M University. I'm play with dad. I played with him in high school. I'm gonna go ahead to college and then be my coach and let him get me ready for the next level. So ESPN 300 quarterback Shadura Sanders flipped his commitment from FAU to Jackson State University, where his dad, Deion Sanders, is the head coach. Shadura originally committed to FAU in July and was the highest ranked commit for the program from the class of 2021. Once his father was hired by Jackson State in September, it seemed as though it was only a matter of time before Shadur made the switch. He made a decision official on Friday and is now the highest ranked prospect Jackson State has ever had, and he's the only ESPN 300 prospect to commit to the HBCU. Sanders is the number 60th ranked recruit overall, a six foot two, 200 pound quarterback from Trinity Christian School in Cedar Hill, Texas. The decision to switch to his dad's new school wasn't a difficult one. The two have already had a coach quarterback relationship as Dion has been Shadur's offensive coordinator in high school. The past three seasons, Shadur has thrown for 8,925 yards, 123 touchdowns and 19 interceptions. He ran for 198 yards and 22 touchdowns during that time while helping his team to two state championships. Jackson State also got a commitment from three-star athlete Herman Smith on Friday. He had previously been committed to San Diego State. He's a 5'11", 190-pound prospect from Lincoln High School in Lincoln, California, and is likely a defensive back at the next level program has added five total commitments since Deion Sanders was hired, including Shadur Smith, including Shadur Smith and three-star defensive tackle 
Brejan Ross. So, there you have that. And now what I am going to do, I'm going to look at look at the NCAA football scoreboard as there were some games played last night. If I can pull those scores up. Well, actually what I can do right now is I can... Uh, give you what I can do is give you the games coming up today uh, you have number 23 Michigan taking on number 13 Indiana that's a uh, then you have number 18 SMU at 6 and 1 Squaring off against Temple. The Pac-12 gets their start. Early morning start. Very early. As number 20, SC, USC, takes on Arizona State. The game can be seen on Fox. 9 a.m. Pacific time, which is 11 o'clock Central time. Then you have number 22, Texas 4-2, and two, going up against that dangerous defense of the Mountaineers of West Virginia. You have number 25, Liberty, taking on the Hokies of Virginia Tech. You have number 16, Marshall, going up against UMass. The world's largest cocktail party takes place today as number 8, Florida, goes up against number 5, Georgia. You have number 6, Houston, going up against, not 6, pardon the correction, you have number 6, Cincinnati, Going up against Houston. And in a game that appears on paper to be headed towards another blowout, it looks like we have the number 19 Oklahoma Sooners going up against the winless Kansas Jayhawks. Look like wins may not come their way this season. And I guess the date will be deemed as the battle of the state of Kansas versus the state of Oklahoma as the 14th ranked. Oklahoma State squares off today against Kansas State. Both teams coming off losses, so it's going to be a matter of which team can rebound. Also, day number seven, Texas A&M takes on South Carolina Gamecocks, and that's a team that can't afford to lose a game either. You have number 17, Iowa State going up against Baylor. And the big game that everybody's going to have their eye on will be number one, Clemson against number four, Notre Dame. 
You have number three, Ohio State, taking on Rutgers today. Pac-12 matchup as Stanford squares off against Oregon. You have number 15th-ranked Coastal Carolina going up against South Alabama. You have number 10, Wisconsin. Whoops, that game with them and Purdue has been canceled. And now we look at scores from Friday's game. We played highlights from this one earlier. It was a no contest as number nine BYU routed number 21 Boise State by the score of 51 to 17. And their top performers in that game, BYU quarterback Zach Wilson passed 21 for 27 for 359 yards, two TDs. Uh, Tyler Algier, BYU running back, 14 carries, 123 yards, two TDs. Khalil Shakir, Boise State, with the top receiver, with 10 receptions for 139 yards and two TDs. Number 11, Miami, took on North Carolina State. In a wild game. A game that saw lots of action. Lots of tense moments. But in the end. In the end, who prevailed? Well, let's find out. Well, look like I'm not getting my audio there, so we will try to air for that later. Gotcha. Very conservatively. Third down and seven. De'Eric King has Harley. Who keeps his feet? Harley is off. And Harley scores. Loose blitzers coming in his face and gets it out on time. Harley's able to keep his balance, and then it's just a foot race to the end zone. What a play. And that was one of the highlights from the... Always be ready to seize... From the Miami... NC State game. And I still haven't told you who won. I'm not going to tell you who won until until after this right here. So let's give you these highlights now. 
Harris back in. King throws, and he's got a touchdown. It's the tight end, Will Mallory, filling in for Brevin Jordan. Cecil Powell is in for battle. On second down for Miami in the all-white jerseys tonight. Rush of five down the sideline. It's on target for a touchdown. He gets the face mask of King as he's pass rushing. And look, how about the ball? Outside shoulder, away from the inside defender, the safety. And Miami trying to pick up a game on somebody with a win tonight. King launches on first down and drops it into the corner beautifully. Back pylon, trying to land it in between the pylon and the receiver. And what a throw. About five minutes to go, third quarter, as De'Eric King wants to throw off the puff for the end zone. He dropped another one in. Possession very conservatively. Third down and seven. De'Eric King has Harley. Who keeps his feet? Harley is off. And Harley scores. We saw Don hit from 53 earlier. Hockman off the tip. And there's the first turnover tonight. Intercepted by DJ Ivy for Miami. Corner waiting on that one. Here we go Stay with the border around the next team. Day, I yeah. Love it. Love it. And there you have those highlights from a very entertaining game that saw the King reclaim his throne in that game. We're talking about the Eric King as Miami pulls off the 44-41 to victory over North Carolina State. So from an entertaining standpoint, yes, the game was very entertaining, and it was gut check for Miami Hurricanes if they want to keep any of their slim playoff hopes alive or at least a shot to play in the college football, I mean, at least in the conference championship game. Keep in mind that their road, if they should make it to that conference championship game, it's a little bit easier than that of Notre Dame, even if should Notre Dame come away with the victory today. Because let's just say Notre Dame is not on Miami's schedule. I think that would be an entertaining game regardless of where it would be played at. So, we go back and we look at the top performers in that game. If we can pull that back up, once again, Miami comes away with the 44 41 victory in that game. And of course, De'Eric King had a lot to say about the outcome of that game as he passed 300 31 to 41 for 430 yards and five TDs. Now get this. He threw for five TDs, 430 yards. But he also rushed 
15 times for 105 yards. Okay, do the math. That's 435 yards of total offense. Guess who the last quarterback was that put up numbers like that? Oh, the Eric King when he was at University of Houston. Top receiver in that game, eight receptions, 153 yards, two TDs from Miami, Mike Harley. Pretty sure you're not surprised by that, are you? So there you have the games that are coming up today. Games that were played on Friday night. In some other related news, however, because we know that this year's football season is planned under some unprecedented times, under a lot of uncertainties. For one, how about Utah, Arizona? Is the second Pac-12 opener canceled? UCLA's athletic department, should we say like this, UCLA football player among three positive coronavirus tests in athletic department game is still on. So, story goes, UCLA's athletic department has had three people test positive for the coronavirus, including the football player. The Pac-12 conference has already postponed two games, but the Bruins' season opening matchup at Colorado is still on. Players will be tested before kickoff per conference policy. UCLA, which is issuing testing updates every Friday, also reported a rowing team member and a support staff member within the athletic department have tested positive. Arizona Wildcats and Utah Utes football game canceled due to COVID-19 cases. Contact Tracy. The season opening football game between Utah and Arizona scheduled for Saturday has been canceled after multiple Utes players tested positive for COVID-19, leaving the team without enough available scholarship players due to isolation and quarantine protocols for contact tracing. It is the second cancellation ahead of the Pac-12 delayed opening weekend in as many days following Thursday's announcement that Cal could not host Washington. Several players, including an entire position group, were quarantined for contact tracing. Cancellation of this game following yesterday's cancellation of the Washington at Cal football game is, of course, incredibly disappointing to our student-athletes and our fans, the Pac-12 said in a statement. At the same time, it is an indication that our health and safety protocols are working in identifying positive cases and contact tracing cases. While all of us want to see our football student athletes on the field competing, our number one priority must continue to be the health and safety of all those connected to the Pac-12 football programs. The game will be deemed a no contest per Pac-12 rules. 
Utah did not release the total number of players who tested positive or were unavailable due to contact tracing. The group is in isolation, per athletic director Mark Harlan, who said the positive test results surfaced Friday morning. Coach Kyle Whittingham and I discussed the situation extensively, as well as with our medical advisors, and it was extremely clear that to go forward with the game would put our student-athletes at risk, and we simply will not take that risk, he said. We immediately began a conversation with Pac-12 office and Arizona Athletics Director Dave Heat to make them aware of our situation and the resulting decision. Wayneham called it the right decision. Our student-athletes' health and well-being is absolutely paramount, and we will not put them at risk, he said. Our team has worked extremely hard to get to this point, and we will continue to care for our students, athletes, and follow our protocol very thoroughly as we prepare for next week's game against UCLA. He said similar, I could not be more disappointed that our players, coaches, and staff will be unable to experience game day, which they have prepared months for. With that said, health and safety must continue to be our guide principles throughout these uncertain times. Our athletics department and football program will continue to move forward with those guiding principles at the forefront as we prepare to host USC next week. So, game cancels, games canceled At the same time, some games will still take place. So what I'm going to do right here, we are going to take another break. And when we come back, we will have that interview with head coach of the Northwest Football Grizzlies, Coach Steve Martin, after 69-0 victory in their regional game against Wichita Heights. And we will try to pick his brain and get him to look back on the season thus far and moving forward, who do he see as his biggest challenges? That 5A division looks very tough. Could we see them go up against Bishop Carroll by chance? Could we see them go up against Cape and Mount Carmel? Those would be two interesting matchups. And it would definitely showcase the Wichita area. And hopefully I can reach out to East High Coach. That will be in the coming weeks, hopefully. Hopefully they keep winning. As we will keep our eye on the Wichita area teams that are vying for state championships. But we're going to take a break right here. When I come back, we hope to have Steve Martin on the show. So stay tuned. A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor, Anthony Smith. I will be back with you after a word from my sponsor. So we welcome you back to the Train Sports Talk podcast. And we are expecting Coach Steve Martin of the Northwest High Grizzly football team to be 
joining us at any minute. Uh, just doing a rundown and looking at this Northwest Grizzly team. Their first game, they knocked off West High. 53-7. Beat Southeast, 73-0. Played North High. Beat them, 92-0. Of course, I had a chat session with Coach Martin after that game. And, well, as you can see by the scores, there's definitely a wide gap between Northwest and the rest of the City League. Then they played Heights. They won that game 56-21. Well, that's the most points scored on Northwest all season long right there. But then came East High. Because everybody's been kind of eyeballing this East High team. And they went into the game. Both teams went into the game undefeated. And Northwest won that game by a whopping 17-2. Yeah, let that resonate for a little bit. 17-2. The least point output for Northwest. And I'm pretty sure that raised a few eyebrows. And I definitely want to talk to Coach Martin about that to get his take on that game. But next week, things return to normal as they beat South, and South seemed to have been a team that had been trying to improve, but seemingly they lost a little bit of steam coming down the home stretch. They beat them 63-0. Then they play against Salina Central, and they beat them 68-12, and then the rematch with Heights. And they knocked them off last night, 69 to 0. So, looking at this Northwest football team, and of course, next week on the 13th, they take on Cape and Mount Carmel. But this Northwest team this year is averaging 68.38 points a game. That is just absurd because I can guarantee you what they are averaging as a team on the football field. There are going to be some teams that's not going to average that much coming up this basketball season. I'm just thinking if if Northwest wants to have a successful basketball season, just let the football team play. Because defensively, they're not going to let nobody score. And offensively, 63 points is all you will need to win on any given city league night. But we are waiting for a coach to call in. And we will get his take on the season thus far. And it will just be this year that they actually... Bring the trophy back. I mean, looking at their statistics, 
mean, they're averaging 110 yards, 110.1 yards passing per game, 350.4 yards rushing. Basically, they're just lined up blowing teams off the ball. 67 total touchdowns. Forty-three point four tackles per game, twenty and a half sacks this season, ten interceptions. Let's take a look at what the national average would be. Well, we're going to actually look at the total breakdown of the offensive stats here. Maybe I can see if I can get Coach here on the line here. See if we can pull up coach here. Yes, I get to hear the sound effects and everything. It's the A Train Sports Talk called in line. You have reached Steve Martin, head football coach at which. Hated when that happens. We're going to talk to him about that. But yeah, this Northwest football team has been a juggernaut over the last, well, I mean, they've been putting up these astronomical numbers over the last, what, two or three years, at least easily last two or three years. They have basically taken away the series from Bishop Carroll. And it would be very interesting to see how they fare up against that Northwest team. And I believe we have I believe we have Coach Martin on the line hey, right now. Sorry. Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Man, <laughs> I'm just so thrilled to have you back on. I know it's been a crazy football season. Yeah. But yeah. Crazy you got, is an understatement. <laughs> you guys are just doing what y'all do. I have looked at the statistics. I mean, 68.38 points per game. That's just absurd. I, I've already mentioned, if Northwest wants to have a successful basketball season, just let the football team play because I can guarantee you there's going to be some basketball team that's not going to average that many points a game. And defensively, y'all just put the clamps on them. 
Yeah, I mean, we're we're playing really, really well right now. You know, it's I, I'm proud of our guys. Our guys are just they're they're dialed in. But you know, it's a credit to I mean, our seniors. I mean, that's what happens when you're senior dominant. You know, it's just like they're just locked in. They've been to a state title game two years in a row. They played in the semifinals as freshmen. You know, they've been there, done that, and they're just focusing on the task at hand. And you know, we're just proud of what they're doing. Absolutely. The one thing I really want to ask you about, because as I look at some of these scores and some of these beatdowns, and thank God some of these games weren't played on Halloween night because it'd be a massacre. The one game that sticks out, all I have to do is tell you the final score, and you can tell me about that team, 17-2. to two. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, those guys over there are doing a great job of, of getting some pride in that community. Um, you know, against us, they played us extremely aggressive on defense, and um, they, they just matched up personnel, and they did a good job, you know, with 17-2. to two. Uh, going into halftime, and it was kind of one of those deals where, you know, they were loading the box, and, and we were able to control their offense. I think our offense that night had about 120 yards of offense. And so, you know, our thing was getting out of there and, and running the clock and keeping the ball out of their hands because, you know, they have three very good receivers that can take this to the house at any time. So at the time, we thought we needed to play ball control and, and keep the ball out of their hands. And you know, rely on our defense that, you know, up until this point has only given up two touchdowns by our varsity. And so, you know, it's when you've got a defense like that, you know, we haven't always had a defense like that at Northwest. We, you know, there was years where, I mean, we had to win a playoff game 83 to 67 against Carroll mm-hmm. uh, in 2018. And then we had to beat May 67 to 60. So, you know, it's really nice as a, as a head coach and an offense coordinator, not having to put up, you know, 70, 80 points a game to win a game that when you can rely on your defense, it, it, it's huge. I heard a guy on the radio on my way to work the other day, and he said like this. He says he don't want to see, and he was talking about, I guess, in, in the pros or in the college, but he said he don't want to see scores in the 60s and 70s all the time. He said if you want to watch that, and he referred to it as crap, of course, I wouldn't refer to it like that. He said, if you want to watch that, he said, watch Arena Football League. I'm like, well, you're not too far See, away. And, and, and I, I would disagree with that guy because, I mean, that, what he's talking about, the game has revolutionized in the past 10 to 15 years to where if you go watch the college and NFL game, no one is getting under center and running a tailback 30, 40 times a game straight down in the middle, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the game is adapted with player safety. A lot of people are spreading people out to get numbers out of the box, you know, and they're using old school techniques. Like we, I consider us a triple option football team. Right. But you don't see me under center and wishbone anymore, you know, and I think that's why the points are coming. You know, Nick Saban made a great quote the other day. He goes, to be able to realistically to keep people – scoring and you know and setting people out and and holding them to one or two touchdowns that that's not the new way of football anymore it's everybody is spread out and finding matchups and you know it's just a different game right now so i totally disagree with that yeah it's totally different and it's like i was doing my scoreboard show and you know i make sure i give everybody some love and i dropped down to eight men and i noticed there was a score of like 
14 or 12. And I'm like, that has to be a misprint. <laughs> because yeah. my, my theory yeah, is eight. You know, you look for eight man scores, you think it's going to be the wild, wild west, you know. But, right. You and know, I, it's just, it, who knows? It's, it's just one of those things where this, I believe this game is changing. And, uh, and, and people are, are going to kind of the new age of what football's looking like. Exactly. So with that being said, uh, your game next week, you have basically city competition now, but it's your playoff game. You got Cape and Mount Carmel. And mm-hmm. what a difference. You said it at the beginning of the year when it looked like there might not be no football, but you said keep an eye on that Capon team and look at what Western Sharks has done in his first year. You know, it, it's a credit to what they do. Is he's going to do what what they do. And what I mean by that is Weston knows exactly who he is. He knows how to coach his style of offense. And, you know, he's even adding some new age stuff to it. You know, you you know, I'm sitting there watching film right now, and, you know, there, there's some – there are parts in the Goddard game where, you know, they're spreading people out and running some speed option and, and running some zone, some zone midline and, and stuff like that. So, you know, even he is adapting and not just running the ball straight. You know, you used to be able to line up against the Western Charge Coach team and you were going to see number one trap. You were going to see power. You were going to see toss and counter, you know, and mixed in with play action off of, uh, of ISO. And so, you know, now he's kind of revolutionizing his offense, and it's really fitting these Capon kids. These Capon kids are are tough kids. They're playing physical, and I think it was a good it was a good match uh, bringing that style to Capon because the the Capon kids have always been tough kids, and now with Weston being there, you know, Weston knows exactly what to do with them, and and they are really responding to him and his style of offense and defense. Okay, now I want to play name association because I'm looking at some of the names. It's just giving me the last name and the first initials, but your quarterback, uh, Moore, the Moore kid, I do believe, uh, 605 yards, and I believe that's his pat. That's either his passing or his rushing yards, right? So Jeremiah is uh, our starting wide receiver. Wide receiver, and- okay. And so what we do is we, you know, he is a great compliment to our starting quarterback, Mason Ross. And so what we're doing with those guys is it's Jeremiah is a great change of pace back. And so what we've been doing lately is Jeremiah can throw the ball and people just think when we bring him in, he's going to run the ball. And so last night, you know, he had two passes. He threw a deep ball that was incomplete. And then he threw a uh, pass to our starting quarterback at tight end across the middle. So, <laughs> You know, Jeremiah is that guy who he brings spark to the option game. Um, we're really excited about his growth this year coming over to us. And, uh, you know, I think he's just going to keep getting better and better as we keep playing football. Okay. So now here is what I'm looking at. So you're receiving yards, 110 receiving yards a game. Rushing yards, 350.4 yards a game. 67 total touchdowns. 20 and a half sacks, 10 interceptions. My first question is, if I can talk a little slang, who does that and where besides on Tyler Road? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here, here's the deal. is You know, I've, I've been around a lot of championship football teams, and in November, you got to be able to run the ball and stop the run. Right. And when we start designing our offense in the offseason based on our personnel, 
We try to get our kids in the best situation to match what we need to be doing in November. You know, as a young coach, you get caught up and you want to do this, you want to do that. You'll go watch a college football game and you see Oklahoma do something or Clemson or Notre Dame and you'd be, oh, we can do that. And then all of a sudden you don't have a system and then you have a grab bag offense. And so, you know, we have a system of offense where, you know, if they do this, we're going to do this. If they do that, we're going to do this. So, you know, we go in knowing that, hey, if they're going to overplay, let's say, outside zone, we're going to be able to hit them with this because they can't have, they can't stop both of those complements off of it. And so it's just a system about checks and balances. And it's the same way defense. You know, we put our kids in position to stop the run and be very aggressive. And it's paying off for us. And, you know, this week against Cape, you're going to have to stop the run if you want to win the football game. Right. You know, you're going to have to run the ball. And it's the same thing if we're fortunate enough to win, you know, even Mays and Carroll, you're going to have to stop the run and you're going to have to run the football to win a football game. Yeah. If you go back and look at our state championship game last year, um, they were not able to stop us effectively running the ball, but we couldn't stop the quarterback from running the ball. And we lost the state title game because we couldn't stop the run. And so, you know, that's how we build our team. That's what we work on in the off season. And, you know, if that's, if they want to label us that way, but you know, we're, we're, we're the new age offense. We're going to spread everybody out and we're going to run the ball. And then when we're going to take shots, just like in the old days, you run play action pass, little pop passes, um, when you can take advantage of things and rock people to sleep. And, you know, that's all we're doing. You know, we're a, we're a wishbone team in a new age is what I would say we are. Okay. So back in the day, they called it option quarterbacks. Nowadays, they call them dual threats. So <laughs> we have to find a new name for the option style offense. Now, I want to ask you this question right here because last week you had the chance to go to Lawrence and watch your former star running back. Uh-oh, yeah. now his name doesn't slip my mind. Grease Hall. Well, if you have a senior running back, we I'm just going to simply call him the Deuce. He's a senior. So where do you see him going at the next level? Is he getting a lot of looks? So right now, Julius has about five or six offers. I, I Right now, Northern Illinois is probably a team that's probably out in the forefront a little bit. They're doing a good job recruiting them. Um, but, you know, our in-state school, K-State, is really coming on hard. And I would be very surprised if he doesn't have an offer by uh, signing day by those guys. I mean, because here's the thing is, Jewish is such a great athlete. You know, he's a 23-foot long jumper. You know, he's a 10-6-100 guy um, in track. He can catch out of the backfield. He can run the ball. Um, you know, but here's what people don't know. is He very easily could have been a starting corner for us two years ago. Mm. Um, so he has one of those things where, you know, when I was talking to K-State staff, he really reminds me for Goolsey that left, that played at Bishop Carroll and right. then played safety. Uh, for him, I think he could really be a kid that they could recruit and be able to plug him in where he fits. So if it didn't make it at running back, he could very easily go play in the secondary for those guys. Well, I look at his way. If he does go to K State, there's nothing wrong with having double deuce in the backfield. <laughs> no, there is not. There is not. Uh, anytime you can get more guys to run the rock, is, is good. I think. And the way you just described him, especially on the offensive end, he seemed like he would be the perfect fit and the perfect well I don't know if you would say change of pace just add more of a headache to a defensive coordinator trying to figure out that K-State offense with two guys that 
probably have similar traits coming out the backfield. <laughs> so, I mean, one, they can run it or they can catch it out the backfield. And, I mean, just looking at trying to game plan for that, but yet they would have some differences. That would be a nightmare to try to game plan for that. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's what it is. It's, that's this new age of style is like, you know, now you're trying to, um, you know, now you're trying to, you know, set people up and, and put people in these mismatch opportunities. And, you know, that's what's happening right now is, is there's, a, there's a lot of good kids out there and, and the game has just changed. You know, going back to that conversation, it's just you've got to find ways to put athletes in space and get them the ball. And that's, that's, what, that's what football is now. It's not just, you know, handing the ball off to some guy running up in the middle and knocking each other out anymore. It's just it's different. It's just a different game now. All right, so moving forward, when you played that game against East High, and it was, like I said, it was the lowest point output, when you look back on that game and looking forward to your next playoff game, how would how do you think that game might have prepared you for what's to come? Because as you go through the playoffs, the competition is going to get a little bit stiffer. Well, you know, here's the deal is, you know, this is the way I took it. So, and this is no disrespect to anybody we played prior to that game, is usually at Northwest, we schedule our schedule very top-heavy at the front of the season. And what I mean by that is we start out with Bishop Carroll. Mm-hmm. We actually had Heights game two, and then we had Cape and game three. Um, and so what we want to do is I don't care about losing ball games in September and early October, we want to know exactly what we got to work on and who we are so that we can be ready when it's crucial time, just like the playoffs now. So going into that East game, you know, everything was rosy. You know, we thought, okay, things were rolling, you know, but we didn't ever have to fix it. We didn't ever have to fix anything because, it was too easy. I think going into that game, we were averaging, I think, 64 points a game, you know, and, and it was just easy. We were only offensive. was only playing about 20 snaps a game um, mm-hmm. before we put in the JV. So, you know, it was a really good game for us to go watch because now we've been able to attack the things that they've done to us, that they did, and we can fix it. And so we know kind of what we need to do to get better. And our kids have done just a great job of, of getting better and taking the coaching that needs to be done. You know, it's one of those things we tell our kids all the time is that, you know, we want to struggle at times because we got to know how to grind and we got to know how to fix stuff. And, you know, our kids have done a great job since that week um, getting better. Absolutely. Well, coach, moving forward, uh, I want to say I wish you the best of luck in your playoff run. And I, I, I probably should just be singular, but I'm actually going to be plural. I actually want to see two state title trophies come back to the city of Wichita. Absolutely. 6A Absolutely. and 5A. 6A, 6A and 5A. And the 5A trophy has to have the Northwest Grizzly name on it. Uh, I agree. Now, I know, That's what we're pushing for. Right. <laughs> now, I know Derby is an area team. But it's not Wichita team. So I'm pulling for two teams in this area. I'm pulling for Wichita East and I'm pulling for Wichita 
Northwest. So, Coach, uh, congratulations on the season thus far, but there's more to be done. As a matter of fact, I think it'd be safe to say that the motto is unfinished business. So let's go handle that business and go Grizzlies. And thanks for joining me on my show today. Hey, thank you. We appreciate you. All right. Once again, my good friend, Coach Steve Martin on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, and we will get him back on. Hopefully, next time we get him back on, it will be after they have brought back that high school football championship trophy. Well, that does it for today's show, I think. Yes, that does it for today's show. Uh, you've been listening to A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your conductor, Anthony Smith. want to thank my guest once again, Steve Martin, head coach of the Northwest High football team. Uh, my next show, I should have another guest, which should be Karan Bradley, former Marquette, former Wichita State player, also coach of the TBT Aftershocks. So until the next time, take care of yourself. And God bless.